Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Namo Saranto Suche Doye Ulahuri San Miao San Putoshi. Namo Saranto Suche Doye Ulahuri San Miao San Putoshi. Usha. The unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma in a hundred thousand million eons is difficult to encounter. Now that I have come to receive and hold it within my sight and hearing, I vow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. Venerable Master and Dharma friends, uh, welcome to our Sutra lecture tonight. This is the uh, 30th day of June, June 30th, 2012. We're here in Berkeley, California. We're looking into the Avatamsaka Sutra, the Flower Garland Sutra. And we're going to start by invoking the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas of the Flower Garland Assembly. You'll find the names here on the front cover of your sutra. Please join me as we uh, invoke the spiritual presence.
will you will you get me um, that sheet that uh, was it Jason or Feda wrote down of the stories that have popped up so far? Can you print that out? Yeah, thanks. Okay, welcome to our sutra lecture. Please turn in your text to page fifty-eight and fifty-nine. Last week we were up at the city of 10,000 Buddhas, so we actually interrupted our, our uh, own progress of every Saturday night coming to you from Berkeley Monastery. But we came to you from the city of 10,000 Buddhas, which is certainly a worthy substitute. Um, the idea is to keep the Dharma wheel turning. That's Buddhist code language for always uh, letting the Buddha's voice come out, hearing the Buddha's voice. And that is indeed what we have here. This is uh, the, the voice of the Buddha talking about bodhisattvas. That's his topic. What is a bodhisattva? How does a bodhisattva live and practice? These awakened beings. What are they? How do they think? How do they talk? How do they act? And it's not specifically the Buddha's own voice. He is given the power and the authority to a bodhisattva, to talk about other bodhisattvas. So people are often surprised to discover that the Avatamsaka Sutra, by and large, for the majority, is not spoken by the Buddha, but he, he uh, gives his blessing, they say. He jabei, he adds, he gives his... his uh, uh, gives the, the authority and the energy of inspiration. That's the word. He gives the inspiration to another bodhisattva. In this case, the bodhisattva's name is Vajra Treasury. Treasury of Vajra. This uh, clear, indestructible, diamond-like wisdom to talk about the bodhisattvas. So that's, that's whose voice we're hearing. And you can see, we're just about done. We've only have a few pages left before the third ground out of ten is done. This chapter is called the Ten Grounds Chapter. And it's fairly far along through the whole sutra. Our whole sutra is very big. If we were going to explain the whole thing, we would have to ramp up. You all would have to bring your sleeping bags because Master Hua lectured on it every single night and it took him nine years. We lecture on it once a week, and <laughs> you know how long that's going to take. So, especially as slowly as I go. So, um, so we're not going to try to do the whole thing. Uh, if we made a vow and said we're going to, we're not going to die until we do it. That might even prolong our lives. You know? <laughs> Can't die yet. We're only on chapter six. Yeah. We got forty chapters total. So we're going pretty slowly, but. Um, what we tell ourselves is that we're definitely not satisfied with just skimming over all the, the terms. And this sutra is full of, we call it, I said code language. You could also call it jargon. You could also call it technical terms, technical Buddhist terms. If this were a crowd in Taiwan, for example, or Korea, parts of China... Japan, we could 
just rattle off the phrases and people would nod their heads and kind of, in some cases, clearly understand, in some cases, kind of understand uh, what we mean. I'm not assuming that anybody here has insider knowledge of what these words are, myself included. You know, I started as a Methodist and, and learned from, from square one what these, what these ideas, what the words and then the ideas behind them meant. So that's where I'm, as I lecture, that's one reason why we're going slow, is um, I want everybody to say, yeah, I kind of know what you mean when you say bodhisattva. I kind of know what you mean when you say merit and virtue. I kind of know what you mean when you say triple jewel, these code words that are key and central. They come back over and over and over in these texts. And if we don't understand them, then I'm not doing my job. And if you don't stop me when I haven't explained it thoroughly, you're not doing your job. Okay? So I'm counting on everybody to raise their hands and say, mm, missed that one. Try again, please. Or, um, that doesn't make sense to me. Welcome that kind of input. Very much welcome it. Because the point of this is, is not to see how smart I am or how thoroughly I understand the sutra. How, what's the point of that? Um, the point is to hear the Buddha's voice and to integrate it with the culture. 2012, Northern California, USA. That's when it connects. If it doesn't connect, we're not, we're going too fast. So the value, the premium, is in comprehension, getting, getting the term, the, the understanding the meanings of the terms, and then plugging them into our lives. Because that's, I think, what these are spoken for. Okay, so that's kind of our condition. Here we are. We're on page 5859, and we're going to read this whole passage. Um, first, I'll give it to you. Uh, let's actually, you know what? We're going to do just the first paragraph, and then I'll do the rest, because that's, that's a long passage. So I'm going to put my palms together. This is a, a Buddhist sutra, and I'll give you a line of the Chinese, and you give it back to me. And... Um, those of you who can read the Hanzi Chinese characters, please do. If you can't, look at the romanization, the A B C D spelling underneath, and try it out. Get, give it a give it a whirl if these are fresh to you. It's fun to make the sounds of a, of a new language, and I'll give you a clue because I'll I'll try my best to sound it out, and you can imitate my voice and and read along with your eyes for these new new words. Okay, here we go. 此菩萨天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净天眼清净
surpassing human sight. He sees all living beings when they're born and when they die. With good forms or bad forms, in accordance with their karma, going to good or evil destinies. All right, just that first part has all kinds of ideas in there. This is rich stuff. Let's see if we can unpack it. So we're talking about a bodhisattva, and this is a bodhisattva who is on what's called the third ground, third stage. So he's not a beginner. He's already, she, he or she is already an accomplished meditator, practitioner, cultivator. We're working on it. It's a work in progress. All those words that uh, apply here. This is a Buddhist practitioner who is good. There, this is uh, an advanced meditator. This is somebody who has concentration, has purity, has already been able to enter the dhyanas, those stages. Dhyana is the word that Chan came from. Chan is the word that Zen came from. So this is a Zen meditator. And he or she has gotten to the point are we up there? All right, thank you. I'm going to turn it on now. Bro. Could we make it a little less hot? Just to take it off back just a bit. Ah, just right, perfect. That's it. So this Bodhisattva is a really good meditator. And he or she has already started to... Uh, experience what are called the psychic abilities, extra normal powers. And we've been doing this now for three or four weeks, talking about where these come from. And where they come from specifically is great compassion. This Bodhisattva's heart is very soft. Excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. Sneeze again. <coughs> so this bodhisattva's heart is very soft. And he... Um, I'll stop saying he or she. You get the idea. This is gender, gender neutral, right? A bodhisattva can be a woman, can be a man. makes no difference at all. can be a another species. So I'll just use he for now. So this bodhisattva sees the connection between himself and everybody else. Pain for someone else, the bodhisattva feels. Joy that somebody else has, the bodhisattva feels it. As a result, he's watching other people's lives. Let's say it's his sister. Let's say it's his child. Watching their lives, and when they suffer... He wants to make it go away. We've already found out that he's like a doctor. Right? Doctors know how to make it hurt less. This bodhisattva is just like that. He wants to find a way to make it hurt less. So, what he's come up with is a wish to learn the Dharma. And he is already really good at meditating. And in this state of deep meditation these psychic abilities have now appeared. And we've been talking about them, 
and they are the heavenly ear, also called the deva's ear, the god's ear, hearing that goes beyond normal hearing. Next, we had what are called psychic abilities. This is transformations of his body so that he can do unusual things, including flying in full lotus through the air like a bird, it says. Uh, it includes the uh, knowledge of past lives. That was last, not last week, but the week before. The Bodhisattva is completely able to know not just last life, but countless lives past. And it went on into detail. This Bodhisattva knows what, he, what his name was in whatever world he was reborn and what he had for lunch on what day. That's how specific this memory, can you call it a memory? But it's available to the Bodhisattva, this incredible database of who he was in past lives. Furthermore, we found out that the Bodhisattva has knowledge of others' thoughts. Incredibly specific knowledge of what you are thinking right this minute. Now, we have one more to go, and that's tonight. And this is what's called the Deva's Eye, the Heavenly Eye. Vision that goes beyond people's vision. And let me emphasize right now, the, I explained it the way I did, because these abilities come after the Bodhisattva decides that he will do anything to give him the ability to help people get past pain. That's the motive. In every case, that's the motive. And if that's not the motive, these abilities can arise, but they won't be the same. These are bodhisattvas, shantong, psychic abilities. And they're not for personal benefit. They're not for commercial benefit. The bodhisattva does not use his knowledge of others' thoughts in order to be a better stockbroker and to make more money and to be famous. Not. He doesn't use his heavenly eye in order to pick out the winning horse at Bay Meadows. He does not. Or the Kentucky Derby. That would be selfish. That would be for private instead of public gain. Okay, so just to point out the difference. Here we go. This Bodhisattva's Deva eye, heavenly eye, is changing, is pure, beyond human ability to see. When he sees beings born, he sees beings being born and dying, their wholesome, healthy bodies and their bad, sick bodies, their wholesome destinies and their not-so-good places of rebirth, and how they go there based on their karma. Okay, that's the first passage. So, first of all, Bodhisattva gets this vision. That's his or her vision. And what does he do with it? What does she do with it? She looks and sees how other beings turn. They, they always talk about it as being like uh, being on a merry-go-round. But the consequences of that merry-go-round are huge. That is to say, where are you born? Who's your daddy? What's your neighborhood? And then, how's your health? Do you have, you might be born into the king's palace, but be, have asthma, or 
what, it, what was it in Russia, in uh, Germany? Hemophilia, right? That was the disease of kings, the bleeder's disease. And it was carried in this kingly line. You might have the bad luck to be born a Windsor in the house of Great Britain. What a sad life. Currently, they're in the sunlight because of the new Prince Will and Kate, right? But you don't want to be born a Windsor. Poor Diana, you know, marry into that family. So he's, this Bodhisattva, sees how beings are born according to their karma. According to their karma, that's how they're born. Okay, big deal right there. What is that? Rebirth. It's the whole notion of reincarnation is in those two lines of text. Now, I point that out because I was not taught that as a Christian. Mm -mm. Nope. Where do you go after this rebirth? One of two places. Heaven or hell. And who chooses? Basically, God chooses. That's how it's taught. And it was always out of my grasp. This line says, according to your karma, you're reborn. What does that mean? It means what we do matters. What we do matters. What I do matters. Somebody's keeping score. My my karma is like a balance sheet at the bank. Your debits and your credits. How much money have you got in that account? That's like the karma. That's how karma works. Did you do good? You got good. You got a better bank account. More money in the account. Did you do bad? You got more karma in the negative side, in the red side. So this is built into this text, is the notion of reincarnation. And I, I stopped to point that out just to say, don't assume that everybody goes, oh, yeah, 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 the karma, reincarnation. We follow our karma and be reborn in good places, bad places. That's, that's part of this package, is the idea of reincarnation. So as we introduce the Dharma here to the West, you know, stop, full stop, really different idea than... This, the, the dominant view. Now, what's so interesting is that if you study history of the Bible, what you discover, if you discover the history of the Bible, what you discover is reincarnation used to be taught. It was part of Christian, Catholic, Christian dogma. And then it was suddenly not. It got revised out for, at the time, good reasons, maybe. But how funny that the early Christian dogma contains this notion that it's a closed circuit, that matter and energy only transform. They don't disappear. Okay, what do we know about, through physics, what do we know? Matter goes to energy, energy goes to matter. That's a basic principle of physics every seventh grader studies, eighth grader. That it's not, it's not created, it's not destroyed, it changes. Everything changes. You could say everything is recycled. That's kind of the language we use now. Okay, what about our bodies? 
our bodies recycle. Right? The hard parts go back to the earth, the warm parts go back to the sun, maybe the wet parts become vapor, the empty parts back to air. What about the inside part? The soul, the, our consciousness, our Buddha nature? What happens to that? Does it go away? No, it, comes, it recycles. Why? Because of the debts, because of the karma that we do. We get another body. Come back and repay the, the debts we owe and receive what's owed us. When that's gone, you're called the Buddha. You wake up. So that's an idea, that principle corresponds entirely to our kind of, you could say, our new view of ecology. That is, we just cycle through. It's a, everything's related. The earth is a closed system. You can't ever throw anything away. Isn't that funny? Nothing is thrown away. It always goes somewhere. And then it changes. That's the new view. And when we lived in tribes, we're over in that valley, you're up on the mountaintop. We didn't have to know. You just throw the stuff away until it's time to move. Fill up this cave and go find another one. Right? Pollute this river and then move on. Eat all the buffalo and then, you know, go find the elk. But now, the global village, we can't. There's nowhere else to run. We're post-tribal. We're not isolated tribes anymore. We see that we're related. We know that we're related. Pollution that goes up here rains down there. Atomic energy plant blows up here to fall out. The radiation winds up in the fish, etc. So it's a closed circuit. Well, it's never not been. But we, did, we had room before to keep moving. Now, time to pay the bills. We realize we're totally related. Well, we always have been. So, why would souls be any different than anything else? They recycle. We recycle. The Christians used to teach that. They don't now. Ever since, was it the Council of Nicaea? Was that when it was? Which was what, second century or something? Fourth century, when it was for mostly political reasons, it was erased. Cut that out. Put it in the drawer. Expel, expunged, is erased from Christians. So, okay, well the ancient, the ancient, ancient traditions like Buddhism, Hinduism, still teach it. Because why? I would say that that's the way it is. I didn't grow up that way. I learned that later, but it sure makes sense because everything else is connected and comes back. So, okay. So we recycle. Sutra says what? The bodhisattvas, he sees living beings, where they're born and where they die, with good bodies and not so good bodies, in accordance with their karma, going off to rebirth in a better place or not so good place. So who was I last time? I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure I was somebody or something. So that's like, mm. if you think about that and then you connect it and you think, well, how do I like know what I'll be and how do I be something I want to be? The answer is do things that stand up, that stand the test, do good things. Do good deeds, the good stuff comes back. Do not so good deeds, that's what you got. You know, 
So it's, it's we're responsible. Okay. All right. Who says that? Next sentence. He sees how if those beings that perform evil actions of the body, perform evil actions of speech, or perform evil actions of mind, how if they slandered worthies and sages, held crooked views, and had the causes and conditions for karma of crooked, wrong views, when their bodies decline and their lives come to an end, they certainly fall into the evil destinies and are reborn in the hells. Now it says hells, but it could be animals or ghosts. Those are called the three destinies, the three unwholesome destinies. What is that paragraph? That's a description of karma. That's how the Buddha described it, but it's, that's pure Hindu dogma. And if you look at the Persians, the Persian, the, the uh, Zoroastrian traditions, they say the same thing. That deeds propel us into the next life and they have a quality. It's not just another life, but it's a life shaded, colored, shaped by what we did. So it's really an elegant system if you look at it because nothing is lost and this is the funny part. We're in charge. So if, you, if that makes sense to me, then do it positively and say, all right, if I'm in charge, I want to be the architect of a really good life. I want to do it well. We shape our future. Do it really well. I want a garden that grows really good fruits and nice flowers and crops, trees. Plant it, weed it, water it, fertilize it. Skillful knowledge of karma creates a life you want to live. What is the, the poem? I am the master. I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. Why leave it up to somebody else or whatever? Leave it up to whatever. That's not really believing in cause and effect and using it skillfully. So, one thing to notice here, often in popular culture, karma always means something you don't want, right? Oh man, karma. My karma's come. What about good karma? Why not say, you know, yeah, my good karma's coming. Good, good rewards. Karma is sloppily adopted into English, meaning bad stuff that you don't want. That's half right. But when it's good karma, who doesn't want it? Right? Do good deeds, good karma results. The other thing that happens to that word is it gets slopped over onto fate. Karma and fate kind of become the same kind of, oh, wow, what's wrong with that? Well, who's in charge of fate? Mm, don't know. Somebody must be, right? No, fate is kind of, we say, heaven, tianming. Right? Like heaven's in charge. Who's heaven? Uh, don't ask. I don't know. It's, it's out there. Heaven knows. It, that's not a Buddhist principle. That's not cause and effect. It's also not luck. Right? 
Who's in charge of luck? Lady luck. <laughs> Hope I can bribe her tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. You know? That's not cause and effect either, right? So it's either fate, which is somebody's in charge of fate, some engine out there drives what happens to my my no. Luck. Luck is worse. That's just sometimes it's good, sometimes you, nobody's in charge. What about mm, what about chance? Meaning it's just you never know. The luck of the draw. I don't know. In each of those cases, it's some other agency that makes my future. Right? Somebody else is in charge. The Buddha Dharma, and I'll say Hinduism, interestingly enough, early Christianity said, not the case. If you think that, you're hiding. You're saying, I don't see the sun. The sun is not shining today. Oh, jeez. Oh, it is, after all. Karma says body, mouth, and mind mind make our future. The three vehicles of karma. So, boom. Do Buddhists talk about rebirth? Yes, they do. Do Buddhists talk about karma? Yes, they do. Do Buddhists talk about cause and effect? Yes, they do. Here it is. Plant the garden. Seed you plant, that's the fruit you get. And, okay, on one hand, that's cruel. Why? There's no emotion. You cannot bribe karma. No, no friends. You can't. You can't get in there and like, you know, under the table. It's like it doesn't listen. You know. On the other hand, you flip it over, and it's totally. Absolutely democratic. This is fair, but cold. Cause and effect is not sympathetic. Right? It's not, yeah, I'm undone, but I'm a nice guy. You know, boom. Doesn't help if you're a nice guy or not. But it's completely fair. It, cause and effect does not favor rich people. 1%, 99% does not count. Right? Bernard Madoff, who knowingly stole billions of dollars from people by lying to them, he's got it coming, man. He's going to be without resources for a long time because he deprived innocent people of what was rightfully theirs by lying to them. That's a mistake in terms of cause and effect. Anyway, not to go there, but... So, this is really fair, but it's scary. And I was not brought up to believe this. What was I brought up to believe? Grace. God chooses. That's the dominant causation scheme in this country, which is God's will. Let go and let God his eye is on the sparrow. Meaning nobody's is he doesn't he doesn't fail to pay attention even to small creatures. Never mind <laughs> AIDS sufferers and children who die of congenital heart defects and anyway, 
Anman. So, this says, God is not the prime mover of my future. And if I'm wrong, I may get zotted by a huge lightning bolt in the next 30 seconds. You don't know. <sighs> Blasphemy. I used to think that. You don't dare talk against the dogma because you never know. Punishment is certain if you do. I can't wait for punishment and I can't wait for God's grace. I really believe that it's up to me. What I do matters. Okay, I didn't plan to get into this riff tonight, but this is, this is what the sutra says. The key to this is the bodhisattva sees that if you have your tianyin, if you have your, your eyes open, you see the causation. Oh, this living being is born here, got a bad body, going off to become an animal. Oh, this living being, as an animal, worked off all his karma and saved, he's a horse who saved his rider, and he's a bear who protected the poor girl as she was about to be eaten by the big bear, and she struggled with the other bear, and she was very brave, and then that bear came back as her mom in the future. Uh, so that's cause and effect. You know, and Bodhisattva sees it. Yeah, Jim. Um, so when it comes to karma, like who decides what's good karma and bad karma? Like, like for example, my dad's a Republican. No politics. No politics. He thinks he's a really good person. Of course he does. Intentions are always very good, oh. but his actions, in my mm. opinion, aren't always good. So okay. Like, okay. Okay, good question. And we are striking those comments from the record. No, no, kidding. Uh, we won't do politics as much as I would love to. <laughs> that, this is a privileged seat. I can't do that. That would be unfair. Meanwhile, no, 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 no I can't do it. Okay, so one of the better parts about Buddha Dharma compared to the Christianity that I was raised in, which I love a lot, and which is a wonderful religion that does incredible good in the world. The, the Methodism that I was raised with was mushy. Mushy. Good and bad. Depends on how you explain it. You know. And God, God's grace in the end will save you, if you're worth saving. Strangely enough, the people who got saved, according to the stories, tended to be rich people. Making money was doing God's work. How do you know it's a good person? They're wealthy. They are called the select. I didn't like that. That wasn't fair. What about all these nice people I know who are poor, like me? Like Somehow God was busy with the 1%. I don't know. That was a conclusion. Anyway, so the, it was a mushy index. In Buddhism, it is precisely clear. What is the ten good deeds? What are the ten evil deeds? What are the things that are called wholesome karma? What are the things that are called unwholesome karma? The ten evil deeds, three with the body, killing, stealing, lust. Four with the mouth, lies, duplicity, right? Speaking with two tongues, backbiting, schism-making with your tongue, that's an evil deed with your mouth. Uh, profanity is an evil deed. 
frivolous speech, speech that makes people's minds confused. That's an evil deed. And when I heard that, I was like, well, I always thought that, but I don't want it to be true because I do every one of those things on a daily basis. I lie, I gossip about people, not in front of their face, but behind their back. I swear because it's hip to swear. I feel bigger, like a bigger man, if I can talk like Paul Newman in Slapshot, you know. You know, macho strokes. And I tell dirty jokes because people laugh and I like to be known as the fun guy. You know, Buddha says, that's called evil mouth karma, man. You're harming yourself and you're harming other people when you do that. That's strong medicine because nobody told me that. And then there are three with the mind, which are so dynamic. Greed is evil, says the Buddha. Anger is evil, says the Buddha. Wrong views, delusion, is is an evil deed. And for me, I mean, I grew up in a culture that celebrated greed. Bernard Madoff is one of the greediest men around. And he's a good example, he's an available example because of how the size of what he did. He built billions of dollars. Okay, so that was specific. What are good deeds? Avoiding killing, avoiding stealing, avoiding lust or adultery, keeping your promises, avoiding lying, double-tongued speech, profanity and frivolous speech, avoiding greed, avoiding anger, avoiding delusion, Buddha said, those are all wholesome deeds. Then he gave us five precepts. If He said, if you want to advance in the religion, if you want to improve your stillness and purity, then, he said, do not kill, steal, lust, lie, and use intoxicants. So it's like, oh, how specific. Those pinch. I was a grad student when I first saw those living in a con- commune in the Berkeley Hills. Killing, stealing, lusting, lying, and drugging. I mean... Give me a break. You know, what day did we not? You know? And killing, not so much taking life, but at least saying, drop dead, you rotten, dirty SOB. You know, that was common, you know. So thoughts of killing. So it's like, when you hear that, you go, maybe I'm not ready to be a Buddhist. You know, maybe I like Christianity better because it's like, be good, you know. But the specifics, that's the definition of good and evil. It's not mushy. It's clear. You go, thanks. Finally, there's a path to walk. The thing about Christianity, which I, again, I can't say enough good about Christianity. It's so much better than having no faith. And Jesus has so much good about him, you know. But one of the things that I didn't like about Christianity was there was no specific path. There was nothing to cultivate. There's no doubt. You know, it was be good, lead a Christ-like life. If I led a Christ-like life, I was going directly to jail, man. Society can't handle a Christ-like life. You know, it's like you're, you're a dissident, you're a troublemaker. We mace you, we pepper spray you if you lead a Christ-like life. You know, you got a rap sheet, you're busted if you're a Christ-like. So, oh, but that's, I'm supposed to swallow that. You know, just, I understand that. No. In the Dharma, it says, here, you know, benefit people, do good, avoid evil, purify your mind. 
precepts, concentration, and wisdom. That was such a relief because it gave me something to do. Why? Precisely because it's based on cause and effect. It's what I do that carries me forward and what I avoid that keeps me from bad karma. When it's based on cause and effect, instead of putting the power out in some external authority, you can cultivate. Okay, the ones I mentioned, right? God's grace, fate, luck, or no cause, just chance, you know. Those are all some impersonal external force, right? It's all out there. God does it, fate does it, whatever does it, luck, right? Cause and effect is the one system that says, no, actually, sorry, you do it to yourself for good or for evil. And when, I mean, that's a hard one. That's why we say Buddha Dharma is a religion for adults. Let's say grown-ups, not adults. You can be a five-year-old grown-up if you expect, if you understand cause and effect. You have to take it on yourself if you you get that. And I, I will tell you, it doesn't come easy. I have a deep respect for the systems that you grow up with, the understandings that you grow up with. Master Hua, I told the story over and over again, when I was, he was scolding me once, and he said, how long have you been a Buddhist? Ten years or so. And he said, ten years. He said, I don't think you've taken one step inside the Buddha's door. You still think the Buddha is a cop who is waiting there to bust you when he catches you doing wrong. He said. And it was like, and I said, he said, you still don't understand how compassionate the Buddha really is. He wants you to succeed. He's on your side. He's waiting for you to wake up. It's like, oh. And it was true. I mean, I still had, I had the Buddha's face on a guy sitting on a chair with a big white beard who was like kind of scowling, you know, and going to bust me if he caught me lying. Maybe I could lie and he wouldn't know. You know, it's like all external. What Shurfu said, put it inside. You still don't understand how compassionate the Buddha really is. He's just waiting for you to wake up. He's on your side. It's like, eh. the problem is that puts it on my hands, my tongue, my mouth. I got to do it or not. And I ran from it for 10 years wearing a Buddhist robe. I don't think you've taken one step inside the Buddhist gate. He said, how many years has it been? What I learned from that is what you learn first goes deep. It's hard to change. But the Dharma is just saying, here it is. The Buddha walked this path. When we put it inside, when we flip it around and say, no, no, actually, I can't cheat myself. It's up to me. Suddenly, it's a huge burden and it's totally liberating. Because we're not waiting for, to get the news from God whether we're saved or not. We're not any longer afraid of Tian Ming. Ya Ming Ming Ku Ming It's just fate. Oh, 
you know, like, who's in charge of fate? Is it the Wizard of Oz? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> I am fate. No, it's not. The Wizard of Oz is not behind the curtain. You know, or unless he is. Maybe he is, and we just don't know. You know? But it's just, you know, as long as it's outside, we're not responsible. Somebody else is doing it to us. Hmm. You know, and that's safe and ignorant. That's called blissful ignorance. I don't want to know that I'm in charge. Don't tell me that because nobody's, all this time, nobody else has been doing it to me. What, what a painful awareness that it, I've been, you know. Why do you hit yourself with that hammer? Because it feels so good when I stop. <laughs> That's upside down, right? The end down. So, cause and effect is like this good, bad news. It's good news and it's bad news because at some point you look in the mirror and go, I've been doing this to myself all this time, thinking that it was God's grace. Profoundly unpopular in a Judeo-Christian world. Because it can't be both. It can't be that it's God's grace that saves us and cause and effect is true. It doesn't work. It's one or the other. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. What did you say? That's a, that's a really good uh, and important analysis to bring up. And I completely disagree with you. <laughs> if, why? Because the, the fault is not in laughter. The fault is in intention. All right? You ever see babies laugh? All the time, right? Are they laughing at somebody's expense? Okay. And the man was telling me, I don't know whether it's true or not, but the man was telling me, your this son, um, the, the angels or the spirits are playing with it. The thing is, I don't know, that's what I think. Okay, okay. You know? Mm. And, and that was what she was saying. But I okay, you can say, Jandama, Nidi Chue Jitama. Uh, you were a baby once. I don't remember that. Neither do I, but I was a baby once. 
how it's like babies don't get a social they're not even aware of their their family until like two years old then they become aware of their siblings around nine or ten you know they're not processing benefit and loss before they laugh it's spontaneous all right most of the Buddhists who I know, who I consider to be real Buddhists, laugh a lot. And they're not always going, oh, I don't dare laugh because there's, I'm going to fall into the hells. Okay? Uh, what I'm saying, my point is to say, your analysis is too strict. And what's more, I don't want to be a Buddhist if that's true, the way you describe it. Right? I don't think you have to be so afraid of cause and effect. I think you have to be skillful in cause and effect if you want to plant good seeds. Laughter is magic. Laughter is healing. Laughter is medicinal. You know? Now, mind you, there's lots of evil, cutting, sardonic, nasty laughter out there. Don Rickles. Anybody know Don Rickles? You have to be a certain age, right? Don Rickles is one of those comedians who gets his jokes by hurting people. <laughs> by ridiculing people, by laughing at people. I don't think he's funny. I can listen to Don Rickles for about 30 seconds and I go, oh, geez, this guy's sick, you know. And the laughter is always, <laughs> you know, it's always like, <laughs> snark, <laughs> like that, because it's cutting, mean laughter. That's laughter that's hurting. What's his intention? To make fun of people, all right? I would consider that Frivolous speech, I would consider it double this backbiting because he's often laughing at, you know, about things. His intention is harmful. I would consider that a violation of you. Yeah, right? That's bad mask, bad speech karma. My point is that we don't have to sharpen the knife until it's dull. You know what I mean? You get the analogy? When you, when you have a knife, the knife's supposed to cut, Right? Cause and effect is good, it's a path. Good and evil is helpful because it, it's clear, it gives you a path, something to avoid, something to do, how to perfect, how to grow. That's how we grow. You go from first grade to second grade, second grade to third grade, third grade to fourth grade, elementary to high school, high school to college, college to doctor, graduate school, graduate school to postdoc. You're learned. Okay, we progress through our spiritual path by learning how to be a better and better person. That doesn't mean you clamp down and you become afraid of making mistakes. That's not the Buddhist path. The Buddhist path is open-hearted. Confucius. Confucius said that when he got to 70, he could follow anything his heart came up with and never break the rules. He was the point of these rules is to make us free, not to make us chained. And if you practice, the, the more you practice, the tighter you wind yourself. That's not the Buddhist path that I know. Okay, my, I left the analogy. If you want to sh cut with a knife, it has to be a sharp knife. A dull knife won't cut. You ever sharpen a knife in your kitchen? Have you ever gone too far so it's dull again? You sharpen so much you lost the edge. That's what your inter that interpretation you reported about good and evil. You've lost your edge again. You're so smart you become stupid. Nong chao fan zhuo. Right? Fan chao nong zhuo. Nong chao fan zhuo in Chinese. 
you, you're, you, we say you outsmarted yourself. 聪明反被聪明误. That's what you're describing, that method. That's not what I consider the proper dharma. Here's the way the Buddha gave him, I think. When I was uh, in high school, I've told this story. I've confessed almost all my, over the years, all my negative, you, know, you guys have absorbed all my bad stories. But all right, I was in high school, and it was actually junior high, and Eddie Jacobs was the tough guy on the block. Eddie Jacobs was the gang leader. And we all wanted to be like Eddie. And Eddie was basically a punk, but we wanted to be like Eddie. Turned his collar up. Turned his collars up. Right? Put steel heel plates on your shoes so you could go through the halls of the high school. Click, 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 click with your collar up. And take a pack of camels and roll them into your t-shirt sleeve. Click, 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 click. That was tough. And it was cool. We all wanted to be like Eddie Jacobs. So I was like, don't ask me why, you know, adolescence. So I kind of, I had to go buy some camels and my allowance was 25 cents a week. And I got it by mowing the lawn and shoveling snow. 25 cents a week, a pack of camels was at that time about 70 cents. Three weeks allowance and one pack of camels. I didn't know how to smoke. And so like, you know, here you go, it's cool, you know. Or it tasted terrible. Cigarette smoke tastes like burning leaves. You know, it's it's good. (laughs) You know, stink, stinky smoke. And so I learned how to smoke because it was cool. Roll it in my sleeve. So I go home and I quickly unroll my camel and put him in my back pocket. My mother goes. Do I? Do I? Have you been smoking? I go, uh, no, I, no, why do you ask? I haven't been smoking. <laughs> Lying to my mother. I didn't want her to think I, you know. And so that night, I couldn't sleep. Flip, flop, flip, flop, flip, flop on my bed. Why? I had lied and my conscience was going, eh, eh. That's a mistake. You lied to your mother. I didn't, nobody told me. I didn't have to be told that that was wrong. My conscience was going, you lied to your mother. Two, you know, two bad marks. And so the next day, I took my camels and flushed them down the toilet. And next day, hey, where's your six, man? It's like, I'll get another pack later. You know. Oh yeah, all right. So nobody told me. I le- I understood myself that lying to my mother was not a good thing. And I believe that our conscience has coded into it killing, stealing, lust, and lying. You look at the Ten Commandments: killing, stealing, lust, and lying. Thou shalt not. Right there in the Ten Commandments. Nowhere else. Moses brought him down from Mount Sinai. Thou shalt not kill, steal, lust. Okay, the Holy Quran, Islam's ethical text. If one kills, one has committed a sin. All four. Yoga, aphorisms of Patanjali, Hinduism. It's right there. So these are basic. They're coded in. 
inner inner the good and evil the fundamental of those four out of five precepts every religious tech every religious founder includes those four as things to avoid in buddhism they're called offenses of the nature shin so without being a buddhist you've already violated your conscience so post postscript ps after i was a monk for about 10 years i i talked to my mom and i had been while i was bowing every and even more interesting everything that i did that was an offense to the nature as i was bowing on a pilgrimage it all came back up for review kind of like the ocean doesn't hold a dead body you know that the ocean spits corpses back onto the onto the sand likewise my nature wouldn't hold these offenses so i'm bowing along and suddenly i hear myself go no i haven't been smoking <laughs> no not me you know i go oh my god i said that to my mother 12 years ago you know so i called my mother up when i had the opportunity i said mom um i needed i uh uh you know i lied to you mom you what i said i lied to you back in junior high when i said i i wasn't smoking well i had been smoking she said i knew that <laughs> you think i didn't know that she said i forgave you she said and i saw the camel's pack in the trash she said <laughs> Hide your camel's pack if you're going to lie. <laughs> so it's like, okay, my mom was five steps ahead of me back then. You know, so I think the way it's not that fine. If you kill, you know, that's what the Buddha is talking about. Instead, don't wait around to feel like bad karma is going to trap you. Go generate life, foster life. If you steal. It's not. Maybe I stole. You stole, or you didn't. And if you're afraid of the karma coming because it's bad karma, go give. Be generous. Bestow stuff. Do the opposite of those. And even if you did the ten evils, you can add to the good side. So it's really hodon. This is not saban. All right. It's not that. You don't have to worry so much. Just do good, right? So, it, the Buddha is the Buddha is not there to trick us. He, the Buddha is not a lawyer, right? Oh, it says right here. Whereas, you know, no, it's like kill, steal, lust, lie, intoxicate. And in the end, the Buddha, as they say, no one saves us but ourselves. No one can, and no one may. We ourselves walk the path. Buddhas only show the way. In the end, it's not the Buddha who sends us to hell or has us reborn in heaven. The Buddha's there saying, "He's on our side. He's really compassionate. He only wants us to wake up." So that was, I I like cause and effect because it's fair, and I'm a democrat to the core, you know. And this this system appeals to me. Okay. Questions, comments? We're not. We're not there yet. He sees. Okay. 
若彼众生成就生善恨he sees how if those beings have performed wholesome actions of body, wholesome actions of speech, and wholesome actions of mind, and have not slandered worthies and sages, but have held proper views and had the causes and conditions for karma of wholesome views, when their bodies decline and their lives come to an end, they are certainly reborn in the good destinies within the heavens. The Bodhisattva knows that accurately with his tianyin, Deva's eye. Notice how paragraph 2 and paragraph 3 are mirrors of each other. The first is, if he does bad stuff, he can fall into the hells, the animals, and the ghosts. If he does good stuff, he not only doesn't fall into the evil destinies, but when their lives come to an end, they can be reborn in wholesome paths or even in the heavens. But mind you, the heavens are not an ultimate destiny. But the Bodhisattva is seeing how it happens. The key to this whole passage is the tianyin. Okay, do you all get those, the, the mirror function? It's if you do the evil, evil results. If you do good, good results. And the bodhisattva uses his or her tianyin to, to see. What we have here is a Buddhist description of shantong, of psychic abilities, and how... How, where they come from and how they're used. Okay, is there anybody here who has witnessed in, for example, Taiwan, people using shantong for other, or advertising they have shantong? For? Yes. Who has shantong in Taiwan? Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> and what do they use them for? For example, where, they use them? where who 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 says so? Who says they have shantong, or other people say? They, they say so. They say so. Everybody in Taiwan has Shantong. <laughs> For example, who would say so? Like, uh, they, they, they're not, they, don't hold back. they don't hold back. It's not like they don't slip it in. They, they tell you, right? They tell you directly. And they tell you that Guan Yin is speaking through them. Guan Yin is speaking through them. How interesting. Were you all like, yes, Brent? What is Shantung? Shantung are psychic abilities. This is one of them. Yeah, well, I didn't specify. So, Gwyneth says that in Taiwan, everybody has Shantung and will tell you that. Now, is she exaggerating? Well, only a little. Not much. Because, for example, like stock market analysts, right? People, if you, if you want to go and if you, if you are following the stock market, it's doing day trading, of course you want the stock market advisor who's got the inside story and there are those who say, I have psychic abilities. And Dharma masters. Dharma masters too will tell you that they have psychic abilities. And to the point where if you are a Dharma master and you don't, nobody pays attention to you. You could even starve, then you don't get the offerings. It's commonplace. 
like real estate. You ever seen a real estate agent who said, oh, I know, it's this place. This is the best one for you. Psychic powers, right? How interesting. Does that, Jason? I'm sorry, say again. Okay, Jason's question is about feng shui. That's, that's, here's a Chinese word that's entered into English. Feng shui, literally wind and water, um, interpreted as somebody, if, if you are a feng shui practitioner and you're out in the marketplace, Jason's question is, is that similar to psychic powers? And I'm not an expert. My understanding of it is pretty much the same. It overlaps. However... There is just the way there is real Shantong. The reason I ask that question is Gwyneth mentioned currently in Taiwan, Shantong, the psychic ability, is very commonplace. I'm saying it's something other than what we're talking about here. It's not the same thing. And yet, who knows? Because it's invisible. Does the, the feng shui practitioner who says, oh, I see. If you buy this building, you will get rich. Right? Oh, but you have to reposition the door. My compass tells me, you know, that the money is waiting for you to put the door to the east. Now, why talk about Taiwan? Somebody has done a feng shui reading of this monastery. And said, oh my God, two front doors, bad luck. People will come in one and go out the other. Nobody will stay there. You won't have anybody there. You'll shut down. Well, 17 years later, it's probably one of these years we're going to shut one of those doors. The other thing they said, he said, for what it's worth, and this is complicated, he said, you see that steeple on top? You see that needle pointing to the heavens? Really bad luck to puncture the heavens. Not good, not good. Tear that down. Okay, well, why is it complicated? This is downtown Berkeley, California. This church has been here since 1898. If we tear down the steeple on our church, the Berkeley City Planning Department would be here the next day saying, excuse me, you know, you're in violation of these codes. This is just, so America doesn't get it about feng shui. Our feng shui teacher says, that was really bad luck. What are you doing? You're trying to, you know. Uh, so, all right. Jason, it depends on how you use it. Master Shuyin was an expert in feng shui. Master Shuyin, there story, endless stories about how he, uh, he was famous. This is our teacher's teacher. Lived to be 120. He was uh, famous for rebuilding monasteries that had fallen into ruin. And, you know, China has had Buddhism for nearly 2,000 years. So he, uh, there were plenty of ruined temples. And he would go to one place and say, um, we'll rebuild this temple, but you have to move that rock. And people would say, why, Sherpa? And he would say, well, if you don't move that rock, this place is going to burn after a while. And they would look in the records and discover it had burned three times already. 
in the past. Like every 200 years it would burn. Because these temples have been there forever. So they rebuilt the place, moved the rock, and it didn't burn. Um, other times he would, he would uh, have, he'd rebuild places and, and change it fundamentally and for the good. So, but he wasn't doing it for fame. He wasn't doing it to make money. He wasn't doing it for uh, any personal gain. He was doing it to ensure that the monastery would survive. So feng shui is a legitimate science, just as much as uh, reading of the I Ching, correct reading of the Zhou Yi, is, is accurate. Psychic abilities here arise, remember how we started the lecture tonight, they arise from unselfish, an unselfish wish to benefit people, to make it hurt less. And the, the prelude to this was the Bodhisattva took step by step by step and entered the dhyanas, deeply meditated to a state of purity and selflessness. Then these abilities arose from within as a response to his need to learn how to help. Now, somebody in Taiwan, and I asked whether anybody knew, and, you know, Gwen's hand went up, because currently in Taiwan, this idea of psychic abilities is very popular. It's become a popular part of Chinese culture. That shantong, psychic abilities, is everybody can tell you that they've got them. And there's, Taiwan is a religiously active place. It's, there, it's, first of all, it's a Buddhist country, but not exclusively. There's lots of Taoists, there's lots of Christians, there's lots of Muslims, there's lots of secret school practitioners. In Taiwan, it's Taiwan is religiously uh, potent place. Lots of Tao competing with each other, and so how do you in a country where there are what a million monks and nuns, maybe? How do you stand out? Well, you show a special style. You have something special. Never mind that the Buddha said absolutely you may not do that. Ajahn Buddha. About Parajika 4. Right. Do you want to talk about Parajika 4? A little louder? Just, just in brief. Um, I can if you want. Sure. Okay. The fourth Parajika, the fourth. Uh, Serious offense for monks and nuns, so serious that if you offend it, you are considered Bhutongju. You can no longer stay with the Sangha. You are cast out of the ocean of the Sangha if you break that particular rule. Is what? Lying about special abilities. For a monk or a nun to say, the gods come and make offerings to me, I am enlightened, I am a Buddha. I see this, I know this, um, I have entered the dhyanas, I have these samadhis. If you say that about yourself, you have committed a serious offense. It's called ta, 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 long you. You created gross false speech, heavy false speech. Why? Why did the Buddha make that rule? That's one of the four 
most serious things you can do wrong as a monk or nun. The reason being, and this this happened, several monks in, while the Buddha was alive went around saying that they saw these things, knew these things, and of course, the lay people flocked, right? Oh, Bhante, would you please, look, my mom is really having bad health. Would you see, my grandpa died, where is he gone? You know, here, I'll give you anything if you just tell me these answers. You know, how can I, should I open a business? You know, please tell me, Bhante. And people would gather around. The honest monks who were paying attention to their cultivation and not seeking to be famous got ignored to the point where nobody made offerings at all and they were hungry. Serious consequences in a world where everybody is depending upon donations to survive. So the Buddha wanted what? Harmony in the Sangha. He didn't want anybody for the sake of offerings or reputation advertising their special abilities. Now, it's not that they didn't exist, but you don't talk about them. They say only at the end of life, only when you know, you're about to pass on, if you're a sage, and you can tell your disciples that you had those abilities. That's, that's a special exception. But, so if in Taiwan, if so-and-so Fasher lets you know that they have psychic abilities and they can see the future or they, and you should make offerings to them, like seances or something. By doing that, they're no longer fit to wear the robe. It's not a joke. If they know they're lying, that's the condition. Okay, and but how do you know that they know they're lying? They have to. You have to ask them. And, Like, when I couldn't sleep because I lied to my mother, if you seriously break the precepts for the benefit so that you can stand out on, over the others, you know. It's not, it's not, a, it's not mushy, it's not great. I have come across at And let me ask, you didn't go go through with it. I still don't think I need to go through it. Let me say, uh, I'm really glad you didn't, because as far as I know, I, I with, not to say it's impossible, because anything is possible under heaven and earth. What I don't know is a million times more than what I know. So I'm not saying it's impossible. I will say that if somebody offered to do that, it's certainly not a Buddhist practice. And <clears throat> chances are, uh, 
nothing would have happened. But the wish to make it so could have made it... You, I would say that's pretty dangerous. You know, as a musician, I guess your hearing's doing okay, right? <laughs> Not so bad so far. Why mess with it, number one? Number two, you don't know who that person is. And could they... There are gui tong and there are mo tong. You know, there's ghost abilities, there's ghost powers, there's demon power. And you have no idea who that, that person might be trying to use some sort of hex, black magic, which I know exists. So, you know, I would say, thank you very much, uh, but actually I have perfect pitch. You don't. Could I teach you perfect pitch? You know? So, nah, I've never heard of that being done, certainly not with Mbui. So, good thing that you told them now. Anybody else have any experience with the, the popular shantong? I know in the Vietnamese Buddhist world, absolutely there are people who will tell you they know about your past life. Okay. Um, I was an astrologer. And in the astrological world, um, People, you know, oh, you find, of let's say, out of ten astrologers, I would say nine out of ten are people that I wouldn't necessarily want to have them tell me anything about my, my life. Because the knowledge of astrology is based upon astronomy. It's public. You know, where's the sun? The sun is in Capricorn. No doubt. You know, it's, that's how we do sidereal clocks. It's so precise. But what do those symbols mean? It depends on the person's interpretation. There are a lot of astrologers who I thought were creepy and who were telling me stuff that, you know, for example, here we go. So the astrologer goes, <laughs> it's very mathematical. He draws the chart and he goes, oh. Oh. you know, What's your reaction? <laughs> you know, we are so vulnerable there. So when you get into the realm, and people would do that, you know. I have to tell you a very funny, funny, oh, embarrassing. I was a professional astrologer in grad school. I was one of Berkeley's astrologers. You could find my name in Common Ground, you know, and come and do a chart. So this woman in, in, in Marin County, in Sausalito, hired me to do her chart. And she was so sincere. She was, you know, she wanted, she wanted to know if she should get married, you know. What are the two questions people ask? If they're Chinese, the first question is, should I go into business? That's the first question. Should I open a second job, a second business? You know, open a little store. The other question is love. So it's love and money. Those are the two things that people want to know about most. Money and love. Okay, so she asked, I want to know, should I get, you know, get married and stuff? So I got the information, and I did the chart reliably, did all the math, you know, and uh, did my calculation interpretation, drove over to Sausalito, and sat down and said, okay, well, and I gave her the, the, the preparation, you know, understanding. And I told her, and she said, she said, that's so remarkable. She said, I didn't, I didn't realize that people could know these things about me. That's really wonderful. And so I said, 
Yeah, that's great. Well, that's the story for somebody born on, on uh, December 28, 1958. She said, December 28? No, no, December 27th. All the calculations were wrong. <laughs> I mean, seriously wrong. Everything was different. She had just been nodding her head at, some, at a chart for someone else. I went... My faith in astrology was shaken. Yeah. She was completely believing in somebody else's chart. And I thought, oh my God, people are susceptible to being cheated. I stopped not long after that because it was like, oh, if it's that, if people will just nod their head when, I mean, anyway, so. I, at a certain, that, that would have been true, but after two hours, okay. you know, it's like, that's a lot of reading. And I was working hard on somebody else's chart. And she was going, oh, anyway, hallelujah. So this is, now, let me say again, I don't want to be on record as slamming popular shantung, popular psychic powers in Taiwan. I need to be humble. I mean, what do I know about psychic power? I've never had psychic powers in this life. And it's very possible that Taiwan is so religiously active that there are people who have psychic power. But they shouldn't make money or, you know, on them. What I do know is when it comes to the Buddha's description of psychic powers, here's the story. And the, the preparation is key which is the reason for the Bodhisattva's ability to use these five incredible, supernormal, paranormal, extraordinary abilities is because he or she wants to help people. That's the move. And furthermore, because of that wish, the Bodhisattva has made his or her mind pure and still through samadhi. That's the way this goes. And it's sequential. When you enter the dhyana samadhis, bit by bit by bit, these abilities are in each of us. You know, potentially we could all have psychic powers if we did the work that the bodhisattva did so that the mind opens up to that level. Fundamentally, we're all connected. How come I don't know what's happening just behind my head, right? I can't see this hand. You can, right? I don't see it until there. Well, that's funny. You know, you, my eyes are somehow limited here. When you have the heavenly eye, suddenly I can see heavens and hell. Furthermore, when I see into the hells, I have to be prepared for what I see. It's not so easy. You know, when you see suffering. So, this is a little more, we run out of time, but this is a little more about Shantung, real Shantung. And it gives us a way to judge when we hear other people talk about psychic ability, we can say, is this the Buddhist description of psychic abilities? Maybe not. Well, I should be cautious, be a little more cautious. Not to say it's impossible, but you can be skeptical. And the way you know 
whether it's believable or not, is the person fighting, putting others down, putting himself up? Are they greedy for fame or money from you, if you believe in them? Are they seeking to be known as different and special, therefore you make offering? Are they selfish? Is it, this is my ability and therefore I'm different? Are they only about getting benefit from them? And are they being, are they lying? Is they, they know they don't, but they, it makes them look good, so they do. So those six guidelines are very helpful. Those are Master Shenhua's, the six guidelines. Is there contention? Is there greed? Is there seeking? Selfishness? Personal advantage or dishonesty? If so, eh, slow down. You don't have to affirm or deny that they have psychic powers, but don't do business with them. Don't let them open your heavenly ear. <laughs> Terrifying. Right? Yes, Jim? Yeah. Okay, the question is, some people have that ability because they're possessed. That, that does occur. Other people have it because, not because of their cultivation. Here is cultivation. Well, um, I'm really cautious when it comes to possession because why? That's scary. That's scary. In this country, we had, um, what was the movie? The Exorcist. Remember The Exorcist? When the head spins around and spins, ah, you know. That was really scary. That was really scary. And, and exorcism for us, it's all, and the exorcist, the, the priest who comes around, usually gets it in the end, you know. It's a hard life if you're an exorcist. Yeah, so in the Buddhist world, um, such things happen, we know. But it's, it's no less scary and I, I have to say, um, I've been a monk for 36 years now, and I've seen people possessed four times. And they were possessed because they opened themselves up to possession through excessive greed, excessive seeking, where they were so angry that they just opened a crack for something, you know. And so I don't want to get people the idea that, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry are all possessed. You know, it, it's not impossible, but it's rare. And if you, if somebody is tells you they have psychic powers, ninety-nine out of nine percent, they probably don't. By the act of their telling you, they kind of. Why did? If you did, let me tell you, if you had real psychic abilities, your phone would never stop ringing. I do not have psychic abilities, and people call me all the time for exorcisms. <laughs> I get calls from China, you know, from everywhere. Why? Not only exorcisms, people are so concerned about grandma, they want to know whether she's going to live. They want to know why somebody at age 32 with three kids has cancer. They want me to use my psychic abilities to cross them over. Their child has ADD and they think the kid's possessed. 
please. And this is a mom who's crying. And I have to go, you know, I, I'm so sorry. I don't have psychic power. I appreciate your faith in me. I don't have psychic powers. Actually, I think you're looking for my teacher. And I'm the closest thing you've got. And I'll tell you, it ain't me. That's hard to say when somebody's crying because they're experiencing grief in their family and they want help. They come to me as a last resort. Right? They have nowhere else to go. So we'll try the... I heard that Shuen Hua Shangren... Well, who's Shuen Hua Shangren? I don't know, but his disciples in Berkeley. Oh, sure for you, these in Gaio. Right? The teacher had it, the student probably does too. Call him, call him, call him. And I hear this and I go, I'm sorry. I wish I could help you. I will bow to Guan Yin and transfer you. I don't have psychic power. You know, and if I told you I did, I would be cheating you. So I say that. How different is that from somebody saying, I do. I can tell you about your past lives. <laughs> oh, money, pay me. <laughs> right? When you hear that, you go, eh. Sorry. Dashing, you had your hand. Right use. Yeah. So if there is uh, other, some particular ability can gather even other people that is not, is not this case, but uh, the view are wrong view and not of the view. Also, so, the total view is the Guladharma view, of course. And uh, uh, also, even now we have to explain this thing because now we have to explain this. Uh, Tricky and dangerous, so, unless we talk about uh, the better. Only great bodhisattva can do, so sometimes can give, and uh, even them, they are very careful, can, uh, can cause some problem in using... Of course. So. Of course. People get attached. So I'm saying, if, you know, your, your phone would never stop ringing, because people, we need help. We want help. We want Dad to take care of it. Well, if Dad has psychic power, that's great, you know. But I always want people to come back to look within. Suppose I had psychic power. It does not help you one bit. You still have to cultivate your own cause and effect of body, mouth, and mind. Psychic power right away throws it out onto the person outside who's going to make it better for you. Or tell you how it really is. No. That's not the Dharma. So... I would say 95% of the people who advertise psychic powers are in the marketplace hoping to make a buck. So, could I show you, please turn in your songbook, page 34. There are cases where people who have psychic powers 
tell you about <laughs> one such case. This was a monk called Bao Zhi, Zhi Gong. He lived in the time of Emperor Liang, so this is before the Tang, this is like 500. And he looked at a wedding banquet where things were not what they seemed. And he came back and told the story, and it was very scary. Shifu Master Hua gave us this verse that goes, Gu Gu Guai, Guai Gu Gu, Sun Zi Qi The How strange it is, how old, how long this has been going on. The grandmother marries her own grandson. What? Yeah, because he used his Tianyan, he used his heavenly eye to see, and he used his Xu Ming to only his knowledge of past lives to see what was really going on. When the grandmother who loved her grandson died, she clung to his hand and said, don't go, don't go. I can't stand her. She, she said, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. Well, the grandson was a kid. Grandma, I don't want you to die. She said, I'll be back, I'll be back. And she died holding his hand. Because of that, that incredible intention, she was reborn quickly, and the grandson was only you know, five or six years old. So he grew up, and this beautiful young girl came along, and sure enough, he wanted to marry her. Guess who? Grandma, reborn. So, Chir Gong Bao Chan Master Bao saw this and said, Oh my God, the grandson's marrying his grandma. And then he looked further and he saw that the guests who had come to the wedding were actually pigs and sheep in past lives who had been killed by people for dinner. And now the pigs and sheep came back as humans to eat the flesh of the former killers who had now died and been slaughtered because they were reborn as sheep and pigs for having killed the pigs and sheep before. So in the pot are the former killers, butchers. Now, in human form, are the, the former pigs and sheep. He sees a young boy in, a, in the band, the, the wedding banquet band, is playing on a drum made of his father's skin. His father had fallen in, from human form, become a an, an, uh, donkey, donkey skin for the drum. And they, you know, so he's beating on a drum made of his father's skin. Meanwhile, a little girl is chewing on a drumstick that used to be her mom, because her mother fell. And so <laughs> Chirgong sees the six paths of rebirth and goes, God, this is pain. Everybody's here to, to say congratulations to the new couple. He says, this is really painful. So, this is the, the wedding banquet through the, the monk's x-ray vision. This is not a popular song, I must say. <laughs> she loved her grandson so When she died, she couldn't let him go Now, twenty years later, she's back again Can you believe it? She's gonna marry him If you could all see through my eyes This wedding banquet's full of surprises Some come to congratulate Some came to eat Some to be ate How strange, bad grammar How strange Karma's wheel moves on Grandma marries her 
married son. Yes, she does. Don't tell that girl the chalk she's chewing on. In the last life was her, her own mom. Don't tell the drummer the drum he's beating on. Is his father's skin? Don't tell him where it's from. He couldn't stand it. How strange, how strange. Karma's wheel moves on. We all come back till our debts are done. Don't tell the host, the guests who just arrived. Pigs and sheep in their past lives. Don't tell the guests the dinner cooking merrily. In past lives, we're all their family. How strange, how strange. are done as the diners or the dish we meet again we're cannibals who eat our kin we party on till we awake hey it's not bad luck it's not fate do you believe do you believe karma's We all come back until our debts are done. There you go. So that's actually an actual translation of this verse that Shufu used to give. Okay, let us transfer the merit. This is on the last page of your songbook. It's also on that chanting sheet that you have in front of you. And the way we do it is we make a wish to send out the goodness that comes from looking at real psychic power and recognizing our need. You know, it's, it's so easy to point a finger at, at the Taiwanese religious world. Where does that come from? That comes from people wanting to know. The pressure of not knowing where we go when we die. That's pressure. Where do we go? We don't know. We just... Still don't know. So we want, we want a shortcut. I'll tell you. I see. It hurts to not know. I don't think you see. So let's, take a, let's make a wish, share it with our Dharma friends, and send it out to the world. May everybody wake up. Oh
Bye. 